Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we continue our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. The Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Ina Dillard Russell Library on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. These events are free and open to the public, so if this discussion sparks your interest, please consider joining the conversation at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Today, our topic of conversation is the economic and political impact of Great Britain's decision to leave the European Union. My guest today is Steve Elliott Gower, Associate Professor of Political Science at Georgia College. Dr. Gower, welcome to Georgia College Connections. Thank you, Daniel. It's good to be here. It's my pleasure to host you here today. So, of course, we are talking about uh, Brexit, which happened a few months ago, and we're still weighing the economic and political aspects of this, this break, this uh, historical break uh, between some of the nation members to the European Union. So I thought we'd start off for any of our listeners who may not have a good bird's eye view of this and start with a question – can you give us insight into the economic relationship Great Britain shared with the European Union throughout this European experiment? Sure, Daniel. I, I guess the first thing to know is that the UK is a, a little bit of a, a Johnny-come-lately to the European experiment, which has its roots in the European coal and steel community of 1951. This was an agreement between Germany, France, and the Benelux countries to establish a common market for steel and coal. So the UK joined what was then called the European Economic Community in 1973, and sort of one of the contexts of that was declining trade between the UK and its former colonies and countries of the, the Commonwealth. But since 1973, the UK has developed a very, very tight-knit economic and financial relationship with the European Union. EU membership, uh, for example, gives the UK gives UK exporters access, unimpeded access to a single market of just over 500 million people. And by the same token, it gives European exporters that same unimpeded access to the UK market, which is a very important market because the UK has typically run a, a pretty significant trade uh, deficit over the past few decades. So it's a net importer of goods. EU membership has also made the UK a very attractive location for foreign direct investment, particularly in the form of multinational corporations. So multinational corporations like Ford, for example, will set up a plant, a factory in the UK and that not only gives it access to the UK market, but to the single European market. Very, very important for uh, multinational corporations. And then finally, EU membership and the opportunities, that the investment opportunities that come with it, has allowed the financial district in London to regain its position as the financial capital of the world. And now, post-Brexit, all of these things, all of these economic benefits are in question. 
But as Great Britain has retained its own currency, I think it's fair to say that although it has benefited from many of these things and gone in with the other EU member nations, it still had one foot outside of that. Can you talk about whether or not that is the case, if that's a, a correct assumption, um, or uh, what are the problems with looking at it f- well, from I, that I, line? I, I think that's correct, Danny. I think the UK for decades has had ambivalent and, and even a contentious relationship with the EU, and, and this is for various reasons. And because of the nature of this relationship, the UK has at various times negotiated so-called opt-outs from some of the European Union's, Union's central policies, including the Eurozone and the Schengen Agreement, which allows for passport and visa travel among mem- member states. So, yes, I I think the UK's late entry into the European Union, the use of these opt-outs, and not one but two referendums on whether or not to stay in, clearly indicate that the Clash's song, Should I Stay or Should I Go, should be the theme song of the relationship between the UK and the EU. I feel that early on on we talked about benefits of joining that large single market. But I was wondering if I could ask you... um, a little bit more about the detractors and what Britain's thought about, you know, benefits of actually leaving the EU. How did it come to a head that we saw this year? You know, this question is, of course, at the, at the heart of, of Brexit. And we've, we've talked about some of the economic benefits of membership. I think there are also, or at least some would argue, there are political benefits that come from being a part of a large, economically powerful bloc. But it seems that for a, a slim majority of British electorate, the costs of EU membership outweigh these um, these benefits. I think for many people in the UK, they simply didn't buy into the the overall political goals of the European Union. Uh, they didn't like having various aspects of their life regulated from Europe, and there were also concerns that the European Union, and in particular the the EU Commission, was less than fully democratic. And while most Brits had no problem with the the free movement of goods, of services, or of capital investment. Again, a majority of them seem to have a problem with the free movement of people within the European Union. 52% of them who voted in the referendum seem to have this this problem. So the single biggest cost of EU membership was unimpeded legal immigration from other EU member states. And this was particularly seen as a problem after the expansion of the EU in the 1990s as member countries of the former Soviet bloc became members of the European Union. And so people from Poland, Hungary, Bulgaria, other former Soviet bloc countries were allowed to travel freely within the European Union and emigrate to the UK. And then finally, even though this isn't, well, a direct EU problem, the Syrian refugee crisis and the EU's apparent inability to solve that crisis has sort of compounded the anti-immigrant sentiment in the UK. Well, we're going to take a short break right now, but if you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. This episode is another in our ongoing collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. Today, the topic of our conversation is the economic and political impact of Great Britain's decision to leave the European Union. Joining me in the studio is Dr. Steve Elliott Gower, Associate Professor of Political Science at Georgia College. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connection.
to let me know Should I stay or should I go If you say that you are mine I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go It's always tease, tease, tease You're happy when I'm on my knees One day is fine and next is black So if you want me off your back Well come on and let me know Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go there will be trouble Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. This episode, of course, is one of our series of Times Talk conversations in which we partner with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their weekly Times Talk to our radio audience. Of course, the Times Talk is a free and open event that takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. So if you enjoy our conversation today, please consider coming out and joining the dialogue at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Today we're talking about the political and economic impact of the Brexit vote in Great Britain. Joining me today is Dr. Steve Elliott Gower, Associate Professor of Political Science at Georgia College. Now, in that last segment, we were talking a little bit about some of the history of the European Union and how it came together and some of the ongoing conversations that led to uh, not only the referendum on Brexit, but also the um, affirmative vote to leave the European Union. Now, if we take a step back even further, I have the curiosity to ask you, do you think or does you know, maybe the uh, popular thought on the Brexit view this as a repudiation of globalization? And um, if so, or if not, uh, why is that? Well, globalization, of course, is a, a massive concept. We can narrow it down a little bit by talking about economic globalization, that is the global integration of uh, economic and financial markets, the free flow of goods, services, and capital. So I don't, I don't think Great Britain's decision to exit the EU is entirely a repudiation of globalization. I think it may be a rethinking of globalization. For one thing, the U UK cannot almost literally afford to repudiate globalization. It has historically been a, a trader, trader nation. Uh, Napoleon famously referred to Great Britain as a nation of shopkeepers. So the UK has to remain engaged economically with the rest of the world in order to survive. Perhaps it's a, a repudiation of globalization in the sense that the, the UK wants to pull up the drawbridge and, uh, and keep out immigrants. And I'm not sure that globalization can survive without the free movement of people. So it's, it's a, definitely a, a rethinking of globalization. And as you, as you suggest, Daniel, it's a kind of global rethinking of, of globalization. This topic is coming up a lot in the US presidential election. Both presidential candidates seem to have some reservations about free trade. 
some reservations about the uh, new trade agreement with Asian countries. And there's also something, it's called TTIP, the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, which is also currently being negotiated between the EU and the US. So yeah, I think it's part of a more general conversation that's going on about about globalization. By the way, I'm, I'm not sure if the pro-Brexit forces have clearly thought through the implications of um, immigration control in the UK. Uh, there's a lot of evidence out there that suggests that people from outside of the European Union, at least, will come to the UK, they'll stay for a number of years, they'll save some money, and then they'll go back to their home communities and maybe purchase a house or so. Now, if it becomes more difficult for people to move back and forth across the UK borders, the chances are that once they're in the UK, they're going to stay. They're not going to go back home because they, there's this uncertainty that they'll be able to return and, and get a job. So that's something which hasn't been entirely thought, thought through. I think another thing that hasn't been thought through entirely is that when you have strict immigration controls, then illegal immigration tends to rise. So, so you know, even though this, the fundamental issue here for those, those 50% of people that voted was immigration, I'm not sure if the UK can control immigration. I mean, it's just seven miles away from the continental Europe, for one thing. And I'm just curious to ask you, of course, you are a Briton here in America, mm -hmm. and so you kind of get to see how this conversation is going on in your home country. Right. Uh, but then also how a very similar conversation is going on here in America. You mentioned that the, this uh, idea of immigration is weighing so heavily into our politics right. in this presidential campaign year. Yeah. How is that for you to be able to see these uh, parallel, sometimes diverging, um, I imagine sometimes converging conversations going on. Right. I see a lot of similarity between the conversations that are going on in Europe and the UK and the United States. And in both cases, it's a very, very emotional issue. And I think in both situations, both in Europe and in the United States, I think those emotions sometimes get in the way of, of the facts and you know, economic studies, the data that's been collected on, on these issues. As this break has happened, what do you think that the effect might be on our political discourse here? I'm going back to that idea of it being uh, seen by some to be a repudiation of uh, globalization. Is it emboldening those people here who would want to uh, step away from partnerships like the TPP, like you were earlier discussing, or even you know, NAFTA, which has been in place mm -hmm. uh, for 20 years? I think that this, this uh, global rethinking slash repudiation of of globalization and international trade is does seem to be gathering uh, speed all over the world. And just one small illustration of that was the fact that Nigel Farage, the leader of UKIP, the United Kingdom Independence Party, came to the United States and shared a, a stage with Donald Trump in sort of solidarity of this sort of anti-globalization movement. If I remember correctly, Donald Trump was uh, very much fanning um, the pro-Brexit flames here. And when the vote finally came down, used that as a uh, indicator that um, you know, his ideas are shared by many, not only yeah. here in the United States, but also abroad. Economists would say there are net positive gains from international trade. The trouble is those gains are unevenly spread within a country. Some people do get hurt really, really badly as a result of international trade. So I think the challenge is, is, not, to, is not to pull up the drawbridge, but it's rather to, to figure out ways to mitigate, to 
ameliorate those negative impacts of international trade. And that might be transfers, uh, uh, subsidies of some sort, retraining programs. Now, I know there are some problems associated with retraining programs. It may take a generation for you know a family to move from one trade to another. They may not want to move location and things like that. But there, there, there has to be some thought, some consideration to public policy that ameliorates the negative impact of trade. Yeah. So, of course, for it to be successful, and, you know, we here in the United States, and I'm sure many nations in Europe, this is ongoing. We're right. trying to, mm-hmm. you know, write these rules as the car is in motion. And as something that, uh, like you said, over a lifetime, we will figure these out. Right, right. Yeah, and we, we just live in a very, very complicated world right now. And so it would be foolish to say that emigration is the root cause of our economic problems in the United States. There are so many other factors at play here, including very rapid technological advances. We look at these driverless cars, which in the very, very near future are going to put a pretty significant segment of our workforce out of work. Yes, and add a lot of free time to uh, many. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> other I guess that folks. was that was Marx's hope, wasn't it? That, that in a communist society we would work a little bit in the mornings and then either write poetry or go fishing in the afternoon. Mm. Well, let's hope our poetry and our fishing yields <laughs> <laughs> benefit from these. But we're out of time in this segment. And so we're going to take another short break right now. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Dr. Steve Elliott Gower. He's an associate professor of political science at Georgia College. And we're talking about the economic and political impact of Great Britain's decision to exit the European Union. This, of course, is one of our Times Talk series of uh, collaborations with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring that Times Talk conversation to our radio audience. Um, Again, the Times Talk takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. So if you enjoy our conversation today, or if you have something that you really want to add to the conversation, please come out and join us at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more. Staying tuned to Georgia College Connections, WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and we're continuing today with our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. Joining me in the studio is Dr. Steve Elliott Gower, Associate Professor of Political Science at Georgia College. And we're talking about the economic and political impact of Great Britain's decision to leave the European Union. 
So I want to take back up where we left off there and talk about uh, some of the political effects of this decision to um, break with the EU. We were trying to talk about some of the similarities between political conversations that are going on in the U.S., but let's return it back to uh, Great Britain and talk about the uh, political fallout or reaction to the Brexit vote. You know, I mentioned earlier that being a member of a large and economically powerful economic bloc conferred a certain political power on the world stage. And and indeed, for much of the second half of the 20th century, people would argue that Britain was really fighting ab- above its weight. So the question now is, when the UK leaves the European Union, what does that do to its political influence on, on the world stage? And my suspicion is that Britain will have a continuingly diminished role and may find itself isolated. Just a very, very small recent example of that, there, there was a meeting of some of the top EU member states in Bratislava, I think it was just last week, and they were talking about security and terrorism issues on the European continent or in Europe, and the UK was excluded from those talks. And that's an example of the sort of isolation I think the UK might might face in future decades. The other issue, and I think this could be one of the greatest tragedies of the Brexit vote, is the um, existential crisis that it creates in that Scotland was very pro-EU. Scotland received a good number of subsidies from the EU. And so the specter of a second uh, referendum vote on Scottish independence is rearing its head. I don't think the Scots are going to go immediately for a referendum because the uh, the global price, price of oil is pretty low right now. But I think as oil prices rise, and Scotland is a, a significant oil producing country, you understand, I think that as oil prices rise, that will give much more support and credence to the Scottish case for independence. And that's one thing that I think it's easy to forget is that when we talk about the Brexit vote, it's the United Kingdom. It's more than just one nation, one society, one culture. It's uh, you know, it itself is a small union of right. different peoples. Yeah, yeah. England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern, Northern Ireland. And right after the Brexit vote, there were hundreds, if not thousands, I think probably thousands of people living in Northern Ireland that were trying to get Irish passports. Because uh, it was uh, one for all and all for one, mm-hmm. you know, to leave Brexit. But there are, you know, just like many uh, political uh, questions that we have here, the, you know, what happens to uh, those who thought differently, especially those w- who are complicated by those differing national allegiances? By the way, apparently one of the most Googled terms after the Brexit vote was, what is Brexit? And what are the implications of Brexit? So again, I think it goes back to that issue of emotion versus facts. Well, and of course, let us say that that was uh, geographically isolated uh, to the United <laughs> Kingdom, because uh, you know it would not uh, strike me as an odd question to be asking right. as we read the news across the Atlantic yeah. Ocean about the Brexit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, that was going on in England right. and other parts of the United Kingdom. Right. Just fuel for thought uh, for our own political questions here. Yeah, really. I in mean, our we, engagement, I really. mean, part of I'm the faculty advisor for the American Democracy Project, and one of the things we really push in, the, in ADP is the importance of being informed on the issues, knowing what Brexit is mm-hmm. <laughs> before you vote on it. Well, and of course, so many times here, you know, the message from the parties is, you know, vote the ticket. So, you know, hit that one button to yeah. select all of your candidates yeah. on down, and I guess in picking personalities uh, for government, but also on, you know, these questions like ballot referendums that'll come up for voters here, you know, going into the ballot box prepared. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think there are four constitutional amendments on the Georgia ballot in November. Mm -hmm. So it would behoove us to get out and 
get, get a little information about those constitutional amendments before we get into the voting booth. Yes, especially based on the wording of those amendments. <laughs> you are correct, sir. Yes. But uh, let's change over to economics here. Uh, so what have we seen thus far about the economic effects of this Brexit vote? Well, the, the most obvious immediate economic effect was on the value of sterling, on the value of the pound. It plummeted precipitously. It plummeted to, uh, I think it was a 31-year low against the dollar. And it's, it's crept back a little bit since then, but it's still very, very weak. A weak pound, of course, makes imports much more expensive. And I just mentioned earlier that, that the UK is a net importer of goods. So that's going to have a pretty immediate impact upon the, the economy. Imports are much more expensive now. Now, you'd think on the other side of the, of the coin that this is good news for exporters because all of a sudden UK goods become less valuable, to come, they become cheaper. But it's unclear that exporters are going to really reap that benefit because the main thing that's happened as a real result of the Brexit vote is the creation of tremendous uncertainty and business dislikes uncertainty. And so exporters are not going to be investing in their own businesses in this, this environment of tr tremendous un uncertainty. They just don't know what the, the economic environment is going to look like down the road. But is it too soon to be able to judge some of the perhaps doomsday prognostications about the Brexit? Because, of course, as you said, uh, the pound has been hammered uh, mm -hmm. in its value against the U.S. dollar. But uh, we have seen in the Financial Times stock exchange, it is up a little bit from the date of the, the vote. Uncertainty does not just creep in on one day. As the run-up to the vote happened, um, of course, there was much uncertainty about which way they would go. Mm -hmm. And then those questions were validated by mm -hmm. a vote to exit the union. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some of those multinational corporations we talked about earlier are really th rethinking whether or not they want to remain in Britain. Ford, I believe, is in the process or is thinking about closing one of its, um, one of its manufacturing plants in Dagenham at the cost of 3,000 jobs. And so all of these multinational corporations are really kind of rethinking whether or not they want to be in the UK over the long term. Now, this uncertainty is, is going to continue for probably a number of years. The UK hasn't even invoked Article 50 of the, um, the Treaty of the European Union yet. I think Prime Minister Theresa May is really playing for time here. By the way, in, in Whitehall, which is shorthand for the civil service, Prime Minister May is known as Prime Minister Theresa May or may not. Um, but back to back to my point about un uncertainty. So once the once Article Fifty, and could of, you please uh, tell us what Article Fifty is? Just for yeah, those sure, who are not sure, sure. So, so Article Fifty is the article in the Treaty of the European Union that allows a member state to exit the European Union. So that that article has to first be invoked, and then from the time of invoking the article, the UK would have two years to negotiate the terms of its exit. And it's only after the terms of exit have been negotiated and we, and we can see what it looks like that that uncertainty begins to evaporate a little bit and we have a clearer picture of what the economic and the political future looks like. And at the date of our recording today, do we have any idea of what the timeline looks like from here on out? Not really. Uh, as I say, uh, Prime Minister May is continuing to play, play for um, time. I think I read somewhere some pundits were suggesting that she would pull the trigger, so to speak, invoke Article 50 sometime in November. Basically, I think what the Prime Minister and the Cabinet are doing now is putting together a plan, an exit plan, which the pro-Brexit forces did not have at the time of the vote. 
Well, I mean, talk about putting the car together as we're moving down the Absolutely. road. Absolutely. That's what it is. Well, uh, it's time now for uh, the perennial uh, last question for our Time Stocks Conversations. And that is just, what do you hope our audience gains um, from the conversation that you have on Wednesday at the Georgia College Library? Yeah, this, this may be a little bit unusual in that it's not directly related to Brexit. But I, I talked earlier about how emotional these issues have been. I was thinking about some of my colleagues over in the rhetoric program Dr. Jan Clark, for example, who's involved in ADP. And they will tell us that there are three uh, rhetoric devices, ethos, logos, and pathos. And the one thing that I've been struck by, by both the Brexit debate and in the presidential debate, is the triumph of pathos over logos. Pathos is the rhetorical device where you appeal to emotion, and logos is the rhetorical device where you appeal to fact, to empirical evidence. And I think that this is something that we really have to watch for. And, uh, it's sort of a part of this so-called post-fact world in which we live, where people don't seem to particularly care if something, whether or not something is true or not. And I think this is something which is very dangerous for the future of democracy. Well, Dr. Steve Allegauer, thank you very much for joining us today on Georgia College Connections. Thank you, Daniel. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. Tonight, we continued our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversation to our radio audience. Of course, the Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon, Wednesdays, in the Ina Dillard Russell Library on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. These events are free and open to the public, so if you enjoyed our conversation today, please come out and join the dialogue at noon, Wednesdays, in the Georgia College Library. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure sharing this portion of your evening here on Georgia College Connections, and I look forward to convening with you next time.